0: What's exciting you about the week coming up?
1: <laughs> I've got a noho marai
0: this week. You've I've, got a what, what on a marai?
1: A noho marai, which is an overnight stay at a Marai that we're just oh, doing. That's what it's one called. Yeah, yeah.
0: Could you say it again for me?
1: Noho means, N-O-H-O means, well, noho. Um, to sit or stay and on the marai. so got, we can't fit everyone in it, so we're doing it in cohorts, we've got our first cohort at Springload going through, just to learn about um, marae protocols and tikanga and mm. um, oh, we're on our journey of being more, I guess, um, well, culturally aware and understanding That's where brilliant. we came from. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: How, how many Fantastic. are attending it?
1: I think, I think there'll be 20 of us. Wow. Yeah. So we're all sleeping overnight. Mm-hmm. I had my earplugs. <coughs> my little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Have you done it before?
1: Uh, I have done it with a bunch of women on a leadership course before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah stayed on a marae for about four days, which was pretty cool. Wow. Okay, an yeah, yeah. extended one then. And yeah. there were a few. Um, it was thirty of us as part of a big um, leadership program, and there were a few snorers. <laughs> I, I managed to sneak a spot right <laughs> at the far corner of them. It was a big marae, but.
0: They had under a pillow.
1: Um, under a pillow, yeah, but there were a few people that had to move to other rooms mm. in the middle of the night with their mattresses. Yeah.
0: That's always awkward. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Fantastic. Mm. What about you, Paul? What's coming up for you yeah, we've, got a,
2: we've got a team away day tomorrow, actually. Just, okay. uh, it's just one day. Oh, going oh. away with the senior leadership team. It's been a funny old year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what we've done over the last couple of months is have a couple of days away together, just to kind of reconnect um, because it's been extremely busy as we came out of lockdown, Mm. extremely busy but busy in a very strange way, not the normal sort of way that we would be and um, I think it's a chance for us to sort of draw breath and talk to each other and Mm. talk about the year coming up Mm. um, what that might look like and what we're going to do about it. And I, th- I think one of the key things that I'm keen to make sure is that we never lose ambition. And so, as we were coming out of lockdown and we had to make some tough decisions, as did so many people, mm-hmm. with regard to you know budgets and uh, business plans. Uh, as we were kind of just trimming things back a bit, you know, to making sure we just didn't lose ambition, mm-hmm. because. It can psychologically start quite a downward spiral. Of course, yeah. So, um, very, very keen mm. to make sure we remain excited about what we do, ambitious about what we do, even uh, albeit slightly tempered about how we do it in the mm. next few months, just making sure we don't overstep ourselves.
0: Um, it's like measured ambition. Yeah, yeah that's perfect. Okay, take I'll, it. I'll write that down.
2: Write <laughs> it Yeah, <take> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Use it. Use it tomorrow. <laughs> I'll have that. Yeah, yeah please
0: do.
1: Did yeah. how did um, how did lockdown affect you and your team? Well,
2: we uh, we were incredibly busy over lockdown. So we had a team of people who went into the sanctuary, so um, uh, into Zealandia uh, every day. Uh, there was animal welfare, biosecurity, security of the place. We had to attend to. So we had a team of eight people on rotation um, over the complete period of lockdown. Um, and everybody else, like, like everybody, was working from home. Mm-hmm. But the team produced some fabulous, fabulous stuff during lockdown. The education team, I was telling DK earlier that the education team produced a massive online stuff for teachers. We have a big education program anyway. Yeah, yeah. And they produced a whole load of online materials that teachers could use, teachers could use online. Um, we did a fabulous um, Google uh, uh, um, virtual tour. Virtual if I can tour. Come thank in, sorry. you. Thank you. I was stumbling over what it was. Only because uh, I was on there last uh, night. Uh, we did a fabulous Google virtual tour of Zealandia and got that online. So there was a lot of stuff going on mm. as well as the slightly more Boring stuff like trying to imagine what the next few months are going to look like, mm. yeah, yeah. which kind of is what preoccupied me a bit.
1: Totally. I think
0: every organisation have had their plans, best laid plans, scuppered sure. somewhat, yeah. and then they're trying to. Every month seems like uh, a new idea, a new plan to yeah. re, kind of ignite new conversations about the state of the world we're in, and we're lucky. Yeah. In New yeah. Zealand, Absolutely. from that we perspective, are. right? Yeah. Uh, but I'm interested in terms of the to also hear about the leadership mm-hmm. around this time and how, mm-hmm. have you, how have you stepped into that role? Uh, well, you got the role, just you could say, but what I mean by that, it's a very different role, right? Managing from a mental health capacity everybody ever been, now mm-hmm. working from home and, and you've also got this pandemic, looking after the kids and all this mm-hmm. stuff. What did you notice in that? And what did you have mm-hmm. to learn or relearn or something? I
2: think for me, I, I learned how uh, our different personality types really uh, become very much more evident Mm. so during lockdown it was really really evident that I was missing the personal Mm. contact Um, we had zoom meetings every day Um, it wasn't the the contact it was the personal contact the face-to-face contact like we're having now and I really miss that because of my personality Mm. there were others in the team who absolutely loved it absolutely (laughs) had a great time and I think that um, enabling people to um, to allow their personalities to be a strength in Mm. those situations is really really important and when we came Mm. out of that to to kind of bring everybody together again in such a way that enabled us to sort of recreate the future, the future ambition Mm. without people feeling too um scared by it, yeah. nervous mm. by it, because it I mean we all respond to uncertainty in different ways, let alone prolonged uncertainty, mm-hmm. and we're still in uncertainty we haven't even reached the tail of covid yet we're yeah. still in the body of it, yeah. and so the idea that um that actually this is something we just have to relax into and 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 uh, together we will manage it, we will cope with it. Mm. We will remain ambitious through it. Mm. So, I like that. so I think it's really important.
0: What about you, Bron? How have you transitioned through the last six to seven yeah. months?
1: Well, I was, I was definitely the same as you when I, um, by the end of lockdown, I was like, I would have walked down the road and pretty much hugged, hugged any <laughs> stranger that like, I'm like, give me a hug. I go, no, yeah. I don't know who you are, but <laughs> Physical contact, you know, course, just, uh, yeah. you know, and and being around other people, I think it's made me realise that it's that it's a chemical, biological mm-hmm. reaction, you know. The, um. You know, it's not the same on screen, mm-hmm. and yeah, at the start of lockdown, we had, oh, like, it was like Zoom fatigue. It's like back to back meetings. You get to the end of the day, and you think I haven't actually moved very much, but I am so exhausted. Oh, and you know and there's of course lots of sort of research now about why that is so exhausting because our brains are working in ways that we're not used to working and you know reading bodily you know we're trying to read um, sort of all you know the non verbal cues and and doing all the things that we would normally do in other ways mm-hmm. um, but um, yeah the the first period actually i quite and in- Enjoyed, which was a bit weird. Um, after the initial, I um, had a board meeting just after lockdown started, and no, it might have been just before lockdown started actually, where basically the board was saying, Well, you need to know what your wind up costs are and what your end game scenario looks like, and I'm like, ah. Eek. Oh, you know, and that, you know, I think at the end of that, I, I just kind of mourned a little bit, grieved a little bit, and uh, even though right, rationale's like, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna need to, you know, wind the business up or anything like uh-huh. that, but, but mm. there was so much uncertainty mm. in this, you know, talk of recession like we've never seen, and, um, you know, just being prepared for worst case. Mm. Um, so after that, I kind of moved into, uh, it was just really clear what, to do as the leader, you know, the, um, the people wanted communication. So mm. they wanted to hear, so just lots and lots of video comms, lots of reassurance, um, just all the little annoying things that uh, usually you have to deal with that have disappeared because mm-hmm. it's like, we've got bigger fish to fry, you know? <laughs> and so actually I really enjoyed that clarity. It's like, there's just one thing to do right now uh-huh. and that is to just get through. For sure. Um, and then after a few weeks of realising that actually we were going to get through all the little, you know, the little annoying things started bubbling up again <laughs> and the new, the new business as usual started kicking in yeah. again and it's like, oh, okay, back to it. yeah yeah.
0: So the scale of what we're talking about, give us a sense of how many people there's Spring load at the moment.
1: Uh, well, at the moment, it's growing a at the moment, uh-huh. so we're sitting in around 80 people. We were probably, yeah, would have been um, 75-ish uh, when lockdown hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I was very well aware that the wage bill, that every two weeks it was going out, you know, there were a lot of mouths to feed and yeah. it was a very big number. Um, you know, and it really feel a responsibility, especially when I was hearing that some of my staff, yeah partners were losing their jobs.
0: Right, of course, yeah.
1: But actually, um, I, I was just blown away by the team. Like I would, mm. literally in team meetings, they would ask questions and say, what can we do to help? Um, can we go down to four days a week? Can we reduce our pay? Um, what can we all do to keep this business going? Wow. And it, it just blew my mind. And um, has,
2: has, it, um, has the business responded post lockdown now? After a few months, are you finding that it's bouncing back?
1: Yeah, yeah, very Fantastic. much so. So actually, mm. we were we were the first sort of three months of lockdown. We had a bunch of quite big contracts that were um, we needed to finish off, and that were all fine mm. really. Um, we had a few clients that sort of disappeared into hibernation for a while, um, and then, uh, but then. Pretty quickly, we, there was a decent sales pipeline coming back and It stopped for a while. That was the really nerve-wracking thing. I was like, whoa, this n- normally work just comes to us. Of and then it just went on pause for a while. So that, that was a bit of a concerning time. But that just the pipelines kicked back off again. And we were fortunate enough to win a, a really big government contract in the last six, eight weeks, which has um, taken bunch of those sort of concerns away, yeah, which Congratulations. is well. we as well, thank you very that's much. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's that's pretty exciting, yeah.
0: So for those who don't know, watching this, they would have seen like Braun, Springload, OK, web development company, give, can you give us a skinny on what Springload is and give us a sense of it?
1: Yeah, well, the, the version, the short version that I usually say at barbecues is that we are a web design company, we do yeah. websites and apps and um, Digital experiences for mm. usually large organisations, so um, lots of government agencies now, um, and yeah, big big companies. Mm. Um, and we focus on so we do end to end, so right from uh, research and user experience and content. Um, through front-end, back-end, and the the really, very, very um, back-end type stuff, stuff, the very nerdy stuff that I barely understand, hosting (laughs) and DevOps and cloud infrastructure and all that sort of stuff um, to make experiences that are easy for human beings to use Mm. and good for businesses. And we also, um, we have, I guess, quite an impact focus. Mm. So we uh, take um, we've got a client match criteria, we say no to clients that we don't think are um, helping what we think is going to be a pretty challenging next few decades. Mm. Um, so from a social environmental perspective mm. uh, and really focusing on working with clients who are doing good in the world um, and also doing our own projects as well that might, um, especially around climate change, so that's a kind of a passion area of ours mm. and also digital inclusion and creating a diverse and inclusive Aotearoa, mm. and um, yeah.
0: Can we linger there, because there's a couple of things there, and feel free to jump in, Paul, because I'm sure you will, but your, your culture has is, is become one that's well-known for kind of doing things differently, and I really love that you just launched your Spring Labs.
3: Yeah. And I was yeah.
0: looking at some of the projects under there, which speak to what you just mentioned. I want to kind of uh, talk about the Pacific payment for a second. Yeah, yeah. Like I think that illustrates you as a brand perfectly. Um, could you kind of detail kind of how that came about and? What was the uh, well, that's a
1: good question. I don't know how it actually came about. We've got um, with launching Spring Labs has been quite interesting because it's. Um, I realized that even as the CEO and, you know, majority shareholder of this company, mm-hmm. still I can't just make things happen. You know, you have to kind of go through the process of helping people on the journey to understand right. why something is important. And and I've been trying to do, um, I guess, more innovative or impact led projects that don't have a clear revenue attached to them uh-huh. for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, when you've got clients, asking for work, who are prepared to pay for work. Our whole business is kind of wired to do that, really. Mm. So um, so it's been a bit of a, a long journey, but where I'm, I'm, really, I'm really excited about this, the concept of a, um, a team of people, so just a small team, three people, mm. that uh, it's a program of work that we have a process for what I call shaking the idea tree, you know, curating, collecting ideas and there are ideas everywhere, collecting them mm. and then curating them, you know, actually starting to shape them a bit and go, oh no, that's not such a good idea, or oh, that one's got some legs, or that one's, how big is that, that's small, that one's medium, and we kind of use t-shirt sizing, you know, that's an extra large t-shirt, or that's an extra small t-shirt. Oh, that's a nice, yeah. Um, and nice then, way to go about it. Yeah, 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 because, <laughs> you know, without going through a process of fully breaking down what's involved and estimating it, you just kind of get a rough sense of how big something's going to be. Yeah how complicated is it going to be? Are there going to be lots of other stakeholders involved or can we do this just, you know, just the team just kind of cranks on and in two weeks it's delivered or, um, and then um, plotting that program um, of, of projects in, so actually managing a program of work as opposed to a project is something a little bit different from what we've done. Mm. And even um, having the method for curating and deciding on which ideas we go for. Yeah, a framework and, Yeah, that's right. So we've kind of set up those um, high-level, some high-level um, principles mm. around what we need from the programme and, you know, some of it is, is um, from a marketing perspective, how do we get our business in front of places that we might not have been able to get in front of otherwise? But um, having an impact focus is a really big part of that. Mm. And uh, like I say, climate change and digital inclusion are two parts that we're really focused on. Mm. So, um, um, so coming back to Pacific Payments, I don't know where. Oh, actually, that came from. Now I'm remembering. Um, um, my Emily, my CFO, she's part of the Pacific Business Network, um, okay. and she uh, said, "Look, this is," and she's ex um, Kiwi uh, Kiwi Wealth, so she's she knows that there's a gap here, mm. and so we just started doing some research, basically, mm. um, and that's where that one came from. But we're Continually getting in guest speakers into Springload. So, we just recently um, got a guy in to talk about um, climate change and uh, how New Zealand, where New Zealand's doing well, where we're not doing well, what the big levers are, what the big opportunities are. And then we had a brainstorming session on the back of that. So, now we're in a process of kind of shaping and curating mm. those ideas and going, oh, is there anything, any of these ideas worth kind of putting into action, putting into practice?
0: Fascinating that you're creating that space. So I remember when I used to run a digital company back in the day when it was new media before yeah, it was yeah, anything new media. else. Yeah, yeah. 2006, mm-hmm. oh my yeah. god. Yeah. Uh, every year we devoted like a certain amount of time to doing a pro bono project. And uh, it was just like, okay, what's, what's ticking our box at the moment? What are we are passionate about? And it usually ended up like helping, you know, th- that diverse kind of group to access digital te- technologies. And remember doing like, I think it was called Pacific Youth.
1: Uh And we did
0: an online course for Pacific young people in I think Papua New Guinea, Fiji, and I want to say Tonga, Recollection. Now remember this was like, I think it was 2007 or eight, something like that. So it was kind of, you know, at the beginning of this stuff. But we did like a five week course for them to enable them to have a global voice and tell their stories. So they were like blogging on Mm -hmm. blogger.com and things if you remember those. I think still still available today. Uh, and enabling them just to do their thing. But we're spending time online every week with them and setting their missions yeah, uh, to yeah. do, because, you know, you shouldn't say tasks or homework. Mm. It's always missions. Yeah, nice. uh, <laughs> nice. But I love yeah. that you create space as a culture and organisation to, to kind of the passion projects, you know, where the, what is it, the 5% in, in Google, um, that yeah, they allow yeah. people just to play with their time. Um, so important Yeah. to, to reach, yeah, kind of in, uh, into just your inspiration bank or your tree of ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, that looks like that's ripe for picking.
1: Totally. So let's just do it. The, um, the, the thing that's been interesting is that, yeah, I, because we're, we're a big machine now, there's all these reasons why, um, why it won't work or why it's going to be hard. Right, or, okay. And so it's, you know, it's really been a mindset shifting exercise and going, yep, this is different from normal we don't know what we're doing, we're like building the plane while we're flying it and we're going to make some mistakes, that's okay, you mm-hmm. know, and just to actually really, um, really trying hard to kind of change that narrative around why it won't work, to mm. why might it work, you know, mm-hmm. and, and yes, we're going to, all these failures, and all these things that are hard, that doesn't mean to say that it's not going to succeed or that it's not a good idea. So
0: since uh, 2002 spring load has been going?
1: Yeah, yep.
0: 18 years? 18 years. What does Springload look like done? Finished?
1: Well, that's an <laughs> Succeeded. interesting question. I know, oh. I'm going in for the juicy question.. Oh. Um. I don't think we're ever going to be done. Okay. I think that's um, that's my, my thinking around growing a business is that I really like, um, a friend of mine used the word entrepreneur rather than entrepreneur. You know, like actually creating something that is around for a really long time. And if it continues, if as an entity, it is regenerative, which is what I'm really focusing on at the moment, mm-hmm. creating a rather than, um, rather than a growth strategy, having a regeneration strategy. Uh, if we're regenerating our team, our communities, our industry, our country and our planet, Then it's like it's like a force for good, you know. So in an ideal Mm. world, I wouldn't even need to be involved in it. But if I can create that Mm. so that it is self-sustaining, it's financially sustaining, um, but also it's regenerating people and planet at the same time, then then I don't think there is a done. I think it keeps going. Good. Yeah.
0: I love that. Well, I like yeah. that, you know, you were touching on that legacy idea there and regenerative and mm. that's perfect opportunity to bring Paul yeah. in from a perspective of the 500 year plan. Yeah. yeah Zealandia yeah, well, has a 500 year plan. I'd like it's to Paul. say we have a 500
2: year business plan already mapped out, but <laughs> that would be a little bit
0: extreme. Well, I'm
2: interested <laughs> in what does that
0: look like, Well, you know, or oh, what comes, go yeah, on, sorry. It's
2: really interesting because coming just Tr- uh, so much of what you've said has triggered thoughts in my mind and so much about what i've read about your company on the website about being human-centered and, mm. and and um one of the founding documents of zelandia started with the word imagine mm. and it seems to me that there are a few words that i like using quite a lot one is ambition but the other is imagine mm. and never stop imagining because that enables us to transition through generations. It Mm. enables us to be regenerative. And if we stop imagining, then we will simply be what we imagined sometime, sometime again. And so the Zealandia uh, founding document started with the word imagine and it then went along to describe all this stuff. The 500 year thing comes from the fact that it takes actually rather a long time for New Zealand's native hardwoods, the podocarps, to grow. Mm. So native rata and rima and Tortora, um will take around about 500 years before they pop their heads out seri- seriously above the canopy. Mm. Mm. And so our vision is that the forest as well as the fauna in that forest mm. will be regenerated mm. uh, fully, but it will take that amount of time. Mm. But what we did in terms of just enabling us to keep imagining is we said, well, look, that, that roughly speaking equates to 25 generations, yeah. if you take a 20-year generation. Mm-hmm. So we're now in our second generation. So let's wow. describe what yeah. our second generation looks like. Yeah. And it's that question, DK, that you asked of Bron just now. What, not will it look, what will it look like at the end, but in mm. another 20 years' time, what will it look mm. like? Mm. And we've been, we spent quite a long time with all sorts of stakeholders around the place answering that question for ourselves, and we're really, really clear about it.
3: Mm.
2: But it enables us to step in generational steps towards 500 years, but it actually enables us to capture people's imaginations because they can, can actually imagine uh, a generation mm. it's really hard to imagine 500 years yeah. um, particularly in a world that is so uncertain yeah, of course. so so we're all about um, radically changing the way people live with value view and live with nature so um, and I love the word radically changing. Mm. I used to use words like transforming, and you know. <laughs> so let's yeah. use real language. We're going to be radically changing yeah, the way that. people value, view, and live with nature. So there's an urban element that there. there's a people-centred element mm. about that. Coming back to your wonderful work on and all, everything I've read about the work that you do, which is very human-centred. Mm. So this is about people, because our future is fundamentally about how we now behave. Yeah. Um, you know, we are radically changing the globe uh, down to the deepest ocean and uh, our atmosphere, all of it. Yeah. It's entirely up now to people yeah. to determine to do stuff better. And we're part of... Um, demonstrating what doing better might look like. Mm -hmm. And actually, having done a bit better, actually how much change you can affect that you possibly thought wasn't possible.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I love the word radical, because I think that's why I would sum up Zealandia. being (laughs) because it's such an odd thing if you describe it. In its entirety, what yeah. I mean is like a couple of, not even a couple of miles, but a couple of kilometers away from the CBD of a capital city, there's this enclave of nature mm. that is not only being cherished, but is mm. flourishing. Mm. And it's actually informing, it feels like it's informing a national debate about this stuff, you know, and also national action, if you think about the the, the kind of, Predator free yeah, exactly, stuff, yeah. which is what you guys have started with the yeah. thing. So, for those again who don't know, mm. what is Z- Zealandia, please? How would you kind of? So, Zealandia
2: um, physically mm-hmm. uh, is a sanctuary, a 225 hectare sanctuary um, with a predator, a mammalian predator proof fence around it. So, what we're trying to do is keep out all introduced i.e. all mammals mm-hmm. um, from this area because it was mammalian predators that had done so much damage mm. to New Zealand's biodiversity and that's flora as well as fauna. Mm. Um, so the fence has been designed, it's a just, just shy of nine kilometer long fence, it's been designed to keep out all mammals. Um, and inside what we've got is we've got a native lowland coastal forest that is regenerating and where the um, species that would have been there in low numbers are becoming to be abundant Mm. and species that were long lost to the area have been reintroduced. Mm. So Hihi for example, uh, stitch birds went extinct on the New Zealand mainland in 1885. Um, You know we have a population of them doing very well in Zelandia. Uh, Possibly the more famous ones are the kaka, the forest parrots, Mm -hmm. which are now um, abundant throughout the region. Um, uh, If I were doing a presentation here now, I would show you a time sequence of distribution, dispersal of these birds from Zealandia. We bought the first, um, I think, 14 birds back into Zealandia in 2002, Mm -hmm. a few more in 2004. We stopped individually banding them at about 900, Wow. We now yeah. only band by cohort, by, by year. Yes, um, but there are so many birds that you'll see around now that are unbanded because mm-hmm. they're in natural nests. On, and I and a lovely, lovely story. <laughs> I was at a function at Government House uh, last week on Thursday, and the Governor General very proudly said, "And we've got a nest of kakar with fledglings in." government has grounds. Oh, wow! And I thought, isn't that cool? That's cool. Yeah,
3: You're yeah. repopulating um, a city. So, yes.
2: so what's happening yeah. is yeah. that we are repopulating a city with biodiversity. Mm. Wellington will be one of the few cities, possibly the only, I don't have the data on it, in the world where native bird biodiversity is increasing. Mm. Mm. Pretty much every other city at the moment in the world a is on a, a decline. So this is... This is Potentially very radical, mm-hmm. and it's certainly a model for other cities around the world. And we've, prior to lockdown, we had a lot of people coming here right? to see what we were doing. And, and what you mean was overseas happening. people, like yeah, yeah, yeah trying
0: internationally. to steal like an artist? Go, yeah, <laughs> steal <laughs> like Both an artist. Exactly, a, b,
2: b, 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 and we would welcome yes. them doing yeah, that yeah, and yes. happily give it away uh, in terms of the knowledge. Yeah. So, it's, a, it's an exciting space to be in when we come mm. back to some of the things you were talking about in, in terms of your, you know, this, um, the lab that you've created, which is all about imagining something else mm. and, and looking at ideas and saying, well, do they stack up to that something else? Mm. And I think we're part of that something mm. else. I'd, I'd like to think Zealandia is a radical part of that something
0: else. How are you guys funded in terms of how do you sustain yeah, yourselves? Well, we're,
2: um, our principal partner is the City Council and okay. we get a grant annually from the City Council which equates to around about 15% of our total revenue. Um, it's significant uh, uh-huh. and, and really important to us. Um, but the other 85% we earn in our own rights through... Uh, admissions, through membership, through Mm. retail, through all sorts of Mm. a number of different revenue streams. But of course when uh, lockdown happened you know um, our international uh, side of what we do went over a cliff um, and we have zeroed out all international tourism for this financial year. That's 60,000 visitors straight away off the books. A year? Um, in the
0: year. Uh, out of how many over uh, a year? About 145
2: 150,000 visitors. Whoa. So around about 40% wow. of yeah. our visitation. Now, obviously, Zealandia is, is about a lot more than only visitors. But visitors do, at, at a high level, a couple of things for us that are really important. One is they enable us to, um, to convey our message. They're the carriers of our message. And so we really need visitors because Mm. we uh, unashamedly try and change their minds while they're with Mm. us Mm. and try and enable them to see something differently and Mm. possibly even start to think, I might value that differently. So it's really important to us because they're our ambassadors going out wherever they live in the world. And secondly, because when visitors come and visit us, um, they normally spend money in, in our shop, they might spend money in the cafe, and they enable the very work that we do in research, in education, in, mm. in other forms of engagement. So 60,000 people is a big loss. Mm. Um, but again, yeah. you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's not terminal, but we'll, we'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's interesting times.
1: The, um, I remember when you, when the 500 year vision, you know, was first kind of, I guess, launched into the public mm. um, understanding and I, I was just blown away mm. and, and I think, I, I really think there's a huge role for role modelling and mm. for just showcasing, when I mean, you talk about doing things radically differently, mm. I think that's so important for people. For any organization to see things that are totally different from mm-hmm. the way the books tell them or the mm-hmm. way all the you know standard business you know strategy yeah. or planning articles tell you to do mm-hmm. and so to have a 500 year vision and I understand there's some mm-hmm. you know it's a pragmatic aspect to that that's how long yeah. it takes for a tree to grow mm. but um, you know just even going oh this can this can have a ridiculously long time frame beyond. Mm. my lifetime mm. you know or having a you know um for me i think role modeling that you can be purpose led and profit led so you can make money and do good as a business at the same time it's not just yeah. all about the money and i think if if we can role model that then you know and if lots of other businesses start doing it, like i feel mm. like if' If every business did that, Mm. you know, so much of our world's Mm. problems would just disappear. And I think
2: it's really important that we do do that. Um, If I come from the base being a not-for-profit, then it's really important that that we run a not-for-profit in a business-like way that is sustainable. Now we won't call it a profit, but it's really important we make sufficient money to run ourselves yep. and do the good we want. Yep. If I come from it of, of an angle from a commercial for profit company, what does that mean for this social good side? Mm, for the yeah, fact I that I mean, I think what, what's wonderful about living in Wellington is that it's a small enough city for us to be very clear that we live here, this is our home. Um, you know, if I if I worked in central London, which I have, um, I didn't live in London. Mm. I lived actually quite a long way out and my community wasn't a London community. Here my community is this community. It is Wellington. Therefore what I do, whether I work, whether I run a not-for-profit company, a for-profit company, it matters to the place I live.
3: Mm.
2: It is my home I am affecting by what I do, not only when I'm at home, but actually when I'm at work. Mm. And so I think we've got this wonderful opportunity to blur that line of for profit, not for profit, for good, for uh, financial return, Mm. however we might define it, and just recognise actually we're all in the business of making this place a better place. And that means better in multiple dimensions. Of course it has to be economically viable. Mm. Of course it does. Mm -hmm. But actually it should be environmentally sustainable. In fact, we should be a showcase for it because we can. And I see what we do as being very, very much part of all of that. Mm. And I I like the idea of modelling that, of being an exemplar, a, a proof of concept, if you like.
1: That's what I think yeah. is New Zealand's opportunity, is to almost be the prototype country, you know? Cause right. we're we are like, We're the perfect sequestered team, you know? We're off to one <laughs> side of the planet, we're small, we've kind of got a good, you know, the right mindset, good culture, we've got, yeah. um, you know... We'd, resources. We've got good resources, we try new things, and I feel like a great testing ground. And then we need to get better at then again role modelling that and, yeah. and exporting and showcasing how things can be done differently. I mean, I recognise that we don't have a lot of the problems that a lot of the countries around the world have. Um,
0: but, but, but that being said, I think some of the, the challenges for New Zealanders, Kiwis, uh, since being here for na- nearly 10 years now, and probably like all of us around the table, still travelling and getting to experience other cultures. When I do travel and I say I live in New Zealand, first of all, they can't get that because of my accent, but when we get through that, (laughs) um, they go, I've always wanted to go. That's always what comes out. If I'm in Wales, definitely the All Blacks come up. You know? And then the third one is Lord of the Rings. (laughs) And the story is those three. Not yeah, like, yeah. Oh, aren't we wonderfully creative? Aren't we kind of reaching beyond our grasp? Isn't that a wonderful thing mm, that our company's doing down there and let's celebrate it. And I think that's changing slowly because of Jacinda before, because of the last six months or so, because mm. of COVID and what we've done here. And it's like, oh, the team of 5 million, the language mm. that we use, kindness, the transparency. I think it's starting to get out. Our, our little secret yeah. is starting to get out. But you're right. We've got a little window of about eighteen months that the leadership need to kind of really enable the doers to and maximize the stories that come from them
3: yeah.
0: rather than trying to own the stories themselves. I think that's the missed art is a bit too much politic in, going on yeah. in New Zealand and not enough kind of because of the tall poppy stuff you know, and the low ego that people like <laughs> to you know, have. Mm. But no, let's celebrate excellence. Mm. And we don't do that very well here. No, we
1: don't. We kind
0: of quieten it. Mm because we don't mm. want to be like, oh, that's good, or that's brilliant. It's more like, well done, right, move on. Mm.
1: Well, it's interesting you using the word ambition, mm. and I've always been a little bit ashamed to use that word ambition. Mm. Okay. And maybe, it's, maybe mm. there's a gender thing in there, w- mm. where it's not, um, possibly mm-hmm. seen slightly differently to be ambitious as mm. a woman than as a man in business. Mm. Um, yeah, but uh, it's... Sometimes it's like, well, maybe we should just reclaim that word, and, mm. and I feel like maybe you're giving me permission to in this conversation. I, but
2: <laughs> I'm certainly not giving you permission. Yeah. I might be encouraging. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, you know that actually striving for something and and moving, pushing, and, and driving forward is the thing
2: for me, Bron. It was that that we hear so much management speak, mm. mission statements, objectives, you know, visions, and all of this stuff what do I actually mean?
3: Mm.
2: I mean actually I want that. Yeah. I want to get there. Now I can call that ambition, I can call it drive, I can call it whatever I like, but I'm not gonna call it necessarily vision.
1: Yeah. I'm just,
2: I just like people to understand that this is a, uh, an inherently much more human, emotional kind of thing that I can grasp. I want that mm. and I want my team to come for that. Mm. That's why I call it ambition. And I, and I think also, you know, I love the word imagine, because we can all Mm. imagine.
3: Mm.
2: Sometimes hard to write a vision statement, a mission Mm. statement, objectives, and that cascade, Um, you know, unless you've got three degrees in management, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Actually, we can all imagine. So just enabling each other to say, well, what do you want? What do you imagine? Because if we stop imagining, as I said earlier, um, what is there?
3: Mm. I mean, you've you've
2: imagined, DK, you've imagined this. Mm -hmm. We're sitting around this table now, having this conversation. This didn't just materialize out of Mm -hmm. nothing. It materialized out of your imagination. Mm -hmm. Imagine if we all did that in our own ways. Mm. How powerful that is. Mm. And imagine that you took Uh, the lab that you've created as this this ground where you just have the freedom to imagine and then coalesce Mm. and then say well that's coalesced enough to do something with, this stuff doesn't quite fit yet but Mm. this does so let's do that but let's keep imagining and I think our 20 year dividing up our 500 years into generations was to enable us as human beings to to be able to imagine, because I can imagine Mm. for a generation. Connect to it. Um, Mm. It also makes me realise that what we're all involved in, and I loved what you said about your business, that you've been sort of head of for sort of 18, 19 years now, is that actually it is intergenerational. Mm. And, uh, I mean, what I love about Zimandia is that I don't own it. Um, I just happen to be in the role I am right now. Mm. And my job is to just make sure that when I do step down and hand that over to somebody else, it's in great shape. Mm. And that is good. Mm. I don't have to like own it.
0: Mm. So I have to steward it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I just want to kind of take a moment because you are, by the language that you use and the sentences that just fell out of your, your mouth, <laughs> Peculiar. Again, I'll come back because not a, in the nicest possible way <laughs> because if you think about leadership, and thinks about uh, that I've been a lot, involved in a lot of leadership experiences and courses or events that I run. Not a lot of people talk like you talk when they are CEOs and things. I think it's better here, and obviously I'm curating the people I sit down with, so I get to speak to amazing people who do think and speak differently, and I want to celebrate that. But I also want to highlight that, how do we then enable other people in leadership positions Mm. to do what you're doing, which is devolve that responsibility down to enjoy that you are in a position that is almost like kaitiakitanga, right? That kind of guardianship role versus Mm. leadership role. Mm. And I love that kind of essence is coming out since I've learned all that stuff here in in New Zealand. So how do we do that? How do we permeate that out? Mm. I don't know, and is it our role Mm. or is it our role just to um, be and then by that, by example lead right maybe that's
1: well i think that's the role modeling thing again mm. like i feel like just saying stuff out loud many times to many people <laughs> they they get a bit bored of it you know Keeps but that. then they start saying it like i you know one of the things i love most is when i hear things reflected back at me from parts of the team mm. and i'm like i hadn't really even started talking about that that much but you've got you're starting to sort of preach, you know, the, yeah. the, the narrative, the story that I'm trying to um, convey. Mm, that's it's fair. like, yes, yeah, that's, that's a good sign. So
0: on that point, Dan, one of the things that you were just highlighting, the B Corp side of what you've established there, which again is a bit radical, to you use your language, mm-hmm. because there's not many B Corp companies, as I understand, in New Zealand, no. and you were probably one of the first.
1: Um, we're one of the first digital agencies. I haven't re- um, <coughs> reminded myself of the numbers, but yeah, there's, not, there's a handful. Yeah. So why? Why? Because um, it felt like Height, part of the kind of hygiene um things that in, in order to not just be talking about things we needed to actually show that we were walking and also it's like a um it's such a rigorous process like it's a really painfully hard process to be the auditing process takes months to be uh, certified, through, to to be certified. yeah that's exactly right so it felt like the kind of rigor that you had to go through in order to get it was a good test of whether or not actually we were um you know, we should be able to talk about what we're doing because we were walking mm-hmm. as well, you know, and it goes into all sorts of things around um, you know, you submit all your salaries, uh, you know, your gender pay gap, your um, your governance, your like it's, it's how um, Social environmental good is I guess baked in throughout every aspect of your business mm-hmm. So yeah, it just felt like um, the right thing to do.
0: How long have you had it and what have you seen its its impact be in, if anything?
1: Um, I think um, there's probably been some external, I guess, marketing benefit. Okay. Um, But the main thing is, I think, for our team to feel like we're we've measured up, you know, and that we are actually, we're not, it's not just leadership talking about these things, actually it's been validated externally and we are doing the right things. It's a bold thing. Well, yeah, yeah. To
0: allow that rigour to go on, you know, that deconstruction of
1: all the elements
0: in which you have to get that accreditation. Like you just said, some companies probably wouldn't be happy being asked those questions because it would reveal something. Yeah. Mm -hmm, It's a bit of work to do.
1: Well, it's interesting. Some of the ideas that we've been coming up with around this, you know, through this shaking the idea tree for mm-hmm. spring labs, some of them are things like, um, um, like the equivalent um, sticker for your business. You know, you know how you get on um, whiteware appliances. You get the kind of. Um water rating, mm, you know gotcha, yeah, and that to have the the equivalent that you stick outside your business, which basically said this was my carbon rating, my carbon footprint okay and and I was thinking, mm, I think a lot of people wouldn't want to do that because they mm-hmm. wouldn't want to showcase mm-hmm. how bad they were, and so mm-hmm. it's a good thing to try and incentivize people to want to show that they're doing well or that they're even trying you know on on this journey, mm-hmm. but as soon as people think they're going to not do so well they're not going to do
2: it but I mean coming back to <coughs> what she said about um, how do we get more leaders of, uh, of any organization around the place to to become more engaged there are leaders like you Bron who who clearly feel completely comfortable or at least comfortable enough to yeah. go down that accreditation pathway and be mm. measured and actually <laughs> say yeah I'm prepared to be measured on this mm. But I think my experience is that more and more companies, more and more people, are realising that the, what would have, I mean, again, it's words, isn't it? Social licence, what enables us, you mm. know, our contribution to society, it used to be done through sponsorship. Yeah. Mm. And actually, that, that is fast changing mm. into partnership. Mm-hmm. And that is fast changing into actually wanting to be able to measure the impact and influence yeah. and change they're doing through that. Yeah. So we've moved from sponsorship well, I'll give you some money, just put my logo on your website yeah. and on the event you have once a year and I'm happy, to actually wanting, wanting to be part of a change process yeah, and, yeah. and recognising that that social duty, if you like, is not trivial. And I think that, you know, obviously this isn't global. I'm talking local now, I'm local New Zealand. Um, it's another amazing opportunity for New Zealand, yeah. isn't it? That I think we do have this growing recognition. Look at the, um, you know, the climate coalition. You know, all these, these company leaders who've come together and said, we want to do something about this. And, you know, the challenges are no less just because you come together doesn't make climate change go away. Mm. But actually, the fact that that is happening is an amazing opportunity for New
3: mm-hmm. Zealand.
1: Well, I think the, like you say, that the, the dem- you know, the public and uh, your customers are starting to demand it now. Mm. And it's actually, you could argue, it's good for business, you know, and, mm-hmm. but, and not doing it in a greenwashing way, but actually mm-hmm. doing it in a genuine way it's uh, good for staff retention as well mm. but I'm, I'm so heartened that um, all the people I interview to come and join Springload now it's and it's probably been this way for the last I don't know year and a half or so they historically they've always asked about the culture and mm. they still do so they want to know that they're going to be part of a, a good culture but now they will ask me what my purpose is and what I'm doing above and beyond running a business mm. and so and and then you know they yeah they're actively looking to work with organizations that are doing good in the world which is amazing you know and there'll be more
2: and more of it absolutely um, and 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 that's really really important you know part of our leadership is to make sure that the that, that, that up-and-coming leadership mm. uh, Is enabled to take that on and to feel empowered to uh, To require there to be a culture Mm. of that nature. Not for it just to be, oh, I'm hopeful and it's a nice to have, Mm. but actually that is our organisation.
1: And that's how they'll choose who they want to work. You know, there's there's this amazing breed of new talent, they're going Mm. to want to work for the places that are doing the best.
2: There's a lovely, coming back to what you said, DK, about leadership, um, there are a couple of, uh, I mean so many books have been written on it that we still don't have a nice yeah. one-line one <laughs> definition, but there's one definition, that Carmen Powell actually, that says it's the art of accomplishing way more than the science of management says in, is possible, so leadership is the art. Mm. Of accomplishing more than the science of management says is possible. I really love that. I love mm. that that it's an art. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a craft almost. Yeah, a craft. Uh, and and also the other one is it's a call to collective action. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. means that it's not about my ego. It's not about mm-hmm. uh, my power or authority. It's about well, what are we going to do, mm. and how are we going to help make that happen? Mm. And I you? like that. A I A like A A A the A fact A that it's not about whether you've got an, uh, qualifications in financial management, A people management, project A management, A A whatever, A whatever A without A decrying those in, A in A any way at all. Um, so I kind of like that. Mm. I, I like the fact that it comes back to all these sort of mm. we- weird words, like ambition. Yeah. <laughs> or softer, yeah. make, and make softer. softer words, almost. Mm. Yeah, softer you know, words.
0: almost feminine words that would be historically mm. thought yeah. of, right? Like yeah. grace and kindness and stuff. Yeah. It's actually really come part of the lexicon of leadership, I think. And it's so important, and I love that that's
2: up front in your bio, you know, the kindness thing. Yeah. I mean, that's
1: fantastic. Yeah, mm. a the kindness. Yeah. Makes the world go round, really, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly doesn't hurt. <laughs> <It> certainly doesn't <laughs> hurt. Yeah. Can, can I ask you about your the imagination word? Do you sometimes feel like you can imagine further in the future than other people can, and that it's sometimes if you imagine too far and too different from what's now, it actually causes people to reject it?
2: I don't think I can see any further than anybody else. Actually, I think, um, and I think, COVID and all of that has kind of probably proved that.
3: Mm.
2: I think what I mean, how I take imagination, is that it it's enabling oneself to be unfettered in what you think mm. about the future for a while. So not not taking. Uh, let necessarily a linear approach to it, not saying well here I am and therefore the next bit, and ne- next bit, next yeah. bit. Mm. So my imagination is there. Mm. Actually imagination is what uh, the film industry does when it produces something like Avatar. Mm. It's um, It's what David Attenborough does when he produces a film like Life on This Planet Mm. uh, or A Life on This Planet, his latest film, which if you haven't seen it is just a Mm. must-watch. So for me it's it's not that I can see any further or that my crystal ball is shinier (laughs) than somebody else's, (laughs) it's more that um, I think it's important to allow ourselves to put aside what we currently know, put aside our management mantle and just say what could it be? Mm. Not how will I get there? Mm. What could it be? So so one of the projects that we've got involved with, in fact we are got involved with, with we're sort of leading in a uh, collaborative sense. Um, is the restoration of the entire water catchment from Zealandia down to the harbour, so the Kaifarafara catchment, the Sanctuary to Sea, mm, Sanctuary to sea yeah. project. Now this didn't come about because we own any of it, we don't own one square meter of that land mm. at all. It came about because we're the headwaters of that catchment and we're doing all we can to make that headwaters um, sort of uh, clean mm. and, and in good shape, good health. Mm so this has been an amazing project because we've allowed ourselves to imagine that this stream that runs through a couple of landfills you know it's got lots of obviously urban development along it but there's still eels there are still eels finding mm. their way up into the sanctuary we know because we found elvers in our lakes wow. now you know the, the life story of the long finned eel the tuna is you know it breeds uh, they they they're freshwater until uh, something triggers them to swim swim out to the tongan trench where they breed the adults die and the elders then swim back oh wow and so there's an amazing life cycle yeah. huh. and um, often it'll be it'll be decades 30 40 years before they actually make that migration and they make it once so the health of an ecosystem can be measured by these indicators Mm. and there are many of them but the the idea that we um... that we are part of imagining things that at the moment seem hard to imagine mm. Mm. and that's not about me having some sort of uh, uh, extraterrestrial capability to see beyond the horizon <laughs> yeah. it's about me not being limited yes. by what i currently know because if i do that i might say ah, it's impossible is there a lesson
0: yeah. there for yeah. the city as a whole yeah. um Definitely. i read recently yeah <laughs> uh, the article about we're losing our coolest little capital mantra or title and thing and i'm like i've never liked that anyway it was gifted by you know um the lonely planet and it's been cute but yeah, yeah. i've always thought we were the most creative little capital in yeah, the world yeah. i was always thought that was the thing that's why creative welly.com yeah, yeah, yeah. was that i was mm-hmm. going to try and mm-hmm. do a creative most creative little capital in the world something and then this Idea came up and to fruition. I do own a couple of other dot coms relating to the Creative Cap Capital. Oh, so you've got just when yeah. But if anybody wants to play, I'll be invited. (laughs) Then come (laughs) That's fine. But I I do feel that Wellington's getting a little bit too uh, political from a perspective of governance and everything. And there's amazing people doing amazing things, and we're not allowed to flourish and that balance that we need at the moment against like the creative entities out there, the pure creatives, which are more the arts and cultural. Yep. Then the creatives, which just mean anybody who is doing something different.
3: Yeah. That's what
0: that creativity means, and it could be in any sector. And then it's that, uh, how do we champion and Global Voice stuff? And I don't think Wellington does itself any, favours in the last bit.
3: Mm. And I
0: think that's where the government should get involved, the local government and the local economic development agencies. And the fact that it's called an economic development agency versus a sustainable development agency is a challenge for me as well. There's something there to imagine a new economic development model like the donut economy and stuff yeah. like, Why aren't we really thinking radically about that? So I think your language and what you're trying to do is serves a much wider, Maybe piece of conversation for the city, and I don't know if you think like that or if it's just something you are thinking about or involved with, or do you think that no, Wellington is going well, leave it alone. What's your take on Wellington at the moment? Because you're how long have you been here?
1: Since I was ten.
0: Okay, ten years then.
1: Ten years, that's right. Well, I'm twenty years <laughs> old. <laughs> oh God, that was very. Yeah, yeah,
0: I'm a
1: little <laughs> bit older than twenty. Yeah, I need a break.
0: But have you seen it yet? Do you think this is on a good trajectory, the city? Is it like feeling good? Is it exciting and vibrant?
1: Um, I don't know how to answer that.
0: Okay, it's nothing to do with politics. I'm not trying to yeah, trick you up. Yeah. I'm just, um, I suppose, you, verbalizing what I'm feeling at the moment.
1: I guess how, uh, sometimes momentum can take forms that are not obvious as well. And I, I mean, you, mm. you mentioned the, um, you know, the reputation that Jacinda has had mm. globally, especially over recent times. And I think, you know, th- there's a lot going on in, in the rest of the world that isn't great. And so, you know, people have been looking for good news around the world. Yeah. And so, so New Zealand has actually had some pretty good Messaging, you know, uh-huh. because people well, some pretty good exposure, I guess, because people are like, there's good news mm-hmm. over there. Please give us some good news. Retweet. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> You know, and I think um, I'm talking about at a country wide level rather than a Wellington wide mm-hmm. level, but how do you put a value, for example, on that messaging of kindness? How, and that role modelling of kindness at the, at a leadership level. So again, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm talking, I'm not talking at a Wellington level, but how how do you how do you measure the f, the role on the you know the f, the impact of that? Mm. What happens if everyone just has it bedded into their brains? Just that words just coming up a bit mm. more. Mm. It's kind of common parlance. People are starting to talk about it in their, um, you know, not being afraid to use that word in their bios or mm-hmm. in their leadership presentations. Mm-hmm. Kids are seeing that, that, you know, that kindness is a word that, that's not only, you know, acceptable to use, but actually it's a quality we want to have. How do you measure that? Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I think. I think we need a portfolio of approaches to yes. moving forward, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to be where you get the the governments and the um, the national um, and the local government institutions doing pro- probably more. No arguing there, but also private o- uh, organisations, um, you know, mm. not for profits. It's like, how do we all? play our part and mm. have our circle of influence and push out as wide as we possibly can to, yeah, to get the message through. That's cool. I Sorry just,
0: I threw, threw you a squirrelly. No, no
1: well, I wasn't a very good answer, but you know, I just, I quite often think about it. No, you're taking that
0: step back and looking much wider, which yeah. is fine. And that's, that's what maybe I'm lacking at the moment.
1: So, come mm. in. I think
2: that uh, I, I love what you've said that actually the vibrancy of our city, the creativity of our city is, is is so many things
3: Mm.
2: and it's, it's what I took from what you just said, it's how we behave to each other and the idea that, that kindness actually is a really important part of that, Mm. that sets the tone of our city and um, I think, I mean again I don't mean to be cute in saying this but I actually think there is enormous opportunity for our city, the wider, the wider city, mm. um, you know, look what we've got,
1: yeah, yeah. you know,
2: just look at what we've got in terms of the assets of this city. Um, of course, there's all the stuff that we've got around us, uh-huh. amazing people, amazing people in our city, yeah. amazing organisations, companies, uh, doing really cool things and caring mm. about those cool things. What more do you need in (laughs) order to then say, we can make this even better? Um, Mm. And I think in my experience, the dialogues, and this is one of them, the dialogue, or the dialogues that you are Mm. stimulating, DK, are really, really cool. And these are all part and parcel of how we get things done. And I, in my experience, there are more and more people who are coming together, not not because our institutions have required them to come yeah, no, together, right. but because actually they care. Mm. And they care and and have a part of the jigsaw that enables something to happen whether that be an environmental project or whether it be a social project, Mm.
3: amazing
2: social enterprise Mm. is going on in Wellington. or whether that be an infrastructure project. Mm. And I think that we've got an amazing opportunity here. If there is one word of caution, I suppose, is that we
1: cannot be complacent that somebody else will do it for us. I think that's right, yeah. And I think that's, uh, to be honest, I think that's the one good thing about seeing the rest of the world burning, you know, in (laughs) flames, uh, you know, uh, is that you realise that if you do do nothing, Mm -hmm. it's not going to just, people aren't going to miraculously come along and sort it out for you. Actually, we need to step forward. We all need to step forward as individuals, as, you know, Mm -hmm. companies, as, um, you know, we we need to do something.
0: Because that stasis will kill us, you're right. Yeah. If we just go, we're done. And that call to action, I'm really fascinated because it's something that you guys are doing at Zealandia which could extend into this question and debate a little bit. Because I was reading in 2018, that you set up like a centre for nature and uh, people? Centre for
2: people and nature. People yeah, and yeah, nature, yeah,
0: sorry, yeah, the other yeah, way around. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. And I stood away, that's an interesting centre for people and nature, fascinating. Yeah. And in the last couple of months, I've been doing, this is completely to an aside, working with a client, and MC in their online events, all right? And they're an architectural design and construction client and they got global membership and we get people from around the world talking about what they're doing in that space on the bleeding edge. Now, I bring those two very random things up because there's a link there. I've learned about biophilia mm. recently, mm. which you might be aware of. Well,
1: I don't know what biophilia cool. is. Cool, I didn't know. No, it's I was a good like, word. <laughs>
0: Biophilia is this um, uh, kind of design, to, it's used in a design term sense now, in this context when I heard it, and they were talking about it from a perspective of biophilic design in architectural and construction spaces, where there's not just nature thrown in because it looks pretty, mm. like i oh, got put a pot plant there or some <laughs> green stuff, right? No, no, no. We'll
1: always use a good pot plant. Which we yeah. get, yeah.
0: They're actually using nature because people, act and react and live and learn and all these other things better in environments which have nature around them. Mm. So how can we put nature as part of the design, not just an add-on, So it's built in rather than a bolt-on. Mm. So now there's a lot of kind of um, uh, academic research and, and stuff to all to do with biophilic design. A design now, the nature into buildings essentially mm. so that people enjoy it more, architecture more. Yeah. And then perform better, and all and that think other more things. creatively. Which then come back to the centre of people and nature. I don't know if that's something that you think about, or kind of give us a take on why that was established, what you're mm. doing with it. Mm. Really intrigued by mm. it.
2: Oh, it was absolutely established uh, with that in mind. So Wellington actually is designated as a biophilic city, and um, there are a number of biophilic cities around the world, mm-hmm. including Wellington. Singapore is another one. And it, it was a phrase that came up to, as you say, to recognize uh, by design. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the, the evidence behind that is, is increasingly compelling. So we set up the Centre for People and Nature as part of the um, imagining our next 20 years, mm. which I've already talked about. And that um, imagining said, well, if actually this is all about that integration of people, with nature. If that's actually what we're saying. You know, the different, we called our 20-year strategy living with nature. We did not call it visiting nature. Mm. And in many countries, actually, in many cities in the world, you visit nature if you want to see it. You hop in your car and you drive to it. If you're really, really wealthy, you get in an airplane and you fly to it and spend a week in a beautiful lodge, and then you go back to concrete is that the future? The biophilic city movement says no it's not. Uh-huh. Um, there is this thing called nature deficit disorder mm. and it's been measured particularly in children but it's now very evident that it mm. exists in a- um, in adults and that is that physiologically as an organism we are uh, uh, impaired by this deficit mm. Mm. so so we set up the Centre for People in Nature, sorry I'm rambling, but no, coming no, back no, to no, Centre for People in yeah. Nature. We set this up because we've always had a significant research programme going mm-hmm. on, but what we wanted to do was make it much broader and we wanted to bring it together under an umbrella and invite other people from around the world to come and contribute to it, mm-hmm. hence the Centre. Um, and it is not only a, a virtual center of researchers, but actually increasingly it's becoming a physical center up at Zealandia where people can come and, and uh, co-design and co-learn mm. about this. But the director of that center of people and nature, Dr. Danielle Shanahan, our, our director of the center, her area of research is the human well-being aspects of contact mm-hmm. with the natural world and and, uh, and um, a particular paper that she wrote that was published in Nature Journal uh, several years ago now is called The Nature Dose and what she's mm-hmm. done is to measure whether you can actually take clinically measurable changes to human health and well-being through a dose of nature so yeah. you go to the doctor and you say two hours of nature this week please And actually you can. So she's done that research in several countries. Done that research in several cities and countries around the world and she did the start of a longitudinal study which will be done every two years now going out on Wellington. So uh, uh, just under a year ago she's collected data and the data was on people who are engaged in trapping as a Mm. proxy for their contact with them, getting out into the natural world. And she measured anxiety, depression, stress and social cohesion. Each one of them are markedly different, markedly different, Mm. for people who are getting out into the natural world, for those who are Mm. not. So there is, so behind the biophilic city movement is this absolute knowledge that physiologically, clinically, Mm. Human beings as a species are healthier Mm. if they have met the natural world Mm. around them. Hence, the desire, and and coming back to Wellington, so that is another reason why we've got to be careful in how we plan the future of Wellington. Mm. Because we have it, and we have it in abundance but it's about having it in your backyard yeah. not having to drive to it because what about all those people who don't have a car.
3: Mm.
0: Is it also about you know, the idea of yeah. it folding into the fabric of the city rather than totally. being separate to it. Totally. Like we are in a really topographically yes. situated that you know the city is there yes and then the nature's there yes right mm. but shouldn't it be the city and the nature is just there.
2: But what we noticed during lockdown, and, and it was in the media um, quite a bit during lockdown, was people were taking their daily walks around the yeah, streets was, yeah. and suddenly noticing all this life,
3: <laughs> life yeah, and
2: stuff, yeah. and it hit the media. Now, who would have thought that seeing a bird
0: on your daily <laughs> walk would hit <laughs> the media? Oh, another twoie. Well, actually, <laughs> yeah.
2: oh, it's another <laughs> Yeah, but it did. And actually, I think what we're, what we're recognising is that this matters to us, mm. we value it. Beyond that valuing, there is a real reason why that's good for us. Mm. Mm. So the Centre for People and Nature came about because of that. We've got around about, uh, we've got dozens and dozens and dozens of research projects on at any one time. Some of them are, are biological, ecological, sort of even species-specific research but more and more of our research now is on human health and well-being mm. and and multidisciplinary interdisciplinary research mm. that looks at different mishmashes of what happens if if this factor collides with this one so it's it's pretty cool
1: i think though you know what you're highlighting is that we do need intervention in order to stop the um, decline you know we've yeah. got Wellington's got this got these assets at the moment yeah. and we're really really lucky but you know prior to Zealandia being set up all of the you know yeah. the stats on all the um, bird life in the city the and fauna you know that was going down in the same way that it's going down in all sorts of cities mm-hmm. most of them around the world mm-hmm. so we need these interventionist strategies and yeah. activities in order to
2: yeah, take I it back up the other way. I completely agree, Brian. I think that yeah, the data from 19, and, uh, about 30 years ago a report was written on the biodiversity of Wellington and they it was estimated there were two or three pairs of kereru in the whole of Wellington right. and about 32 e in the whole of Wellington. Well, mm. I, I get pretty much there are occasions when I get 32 in my backyard yeah. Yeah. so I mean we forget where we've come from mm. actually mm. In, in the late 1990's uh, it was a basket case Bi- in, biologically, mm-hmm. ecologically so it is possible to turn this around but only if we determine to do it yeah. and it, we will only keep it and make it better if we yeah. determine to continue making it better but that applies to kindness to economic development to mm. the arts if we don't determine to do stuff then it will all mm. over time degrade, de- degrade.
0: there's it, a s- there's a you mentioned it before about permission and there's a certain level of rebellion that needs to happen as well mm-hmm. and that permission more forgiveness need to be sought rather than permission yeah. and there's a yeah. lot of stuff around the world now where people are taken to the streets not just to protest and stuff but reclaiming the streets and doing like gardens and stuff yeah. like that and mm-hmm. building um, nature highways mm-hmm. I'm reminded of one of my favorite ever TED talks by the then Prime Minister of Bhutan. Mm. And Bhutan, if you don't know, is just like an amazing country. They're the ones who do gross domestic happiness versus ah. gross domestic products. Yeah. So straight away, yeah, yeah. that's the type of level. Yeah. But, and his name is Topgay Shedding. and I always remember that, and I don't know why. <laughs> but anyway, check out his title. But in that, he talks about, it written in their constitution as an as a a country, they have, I think, something like, the the landmass must be covered by a certain amount of forests. Mm. And they're exceeding that, by the way, and they're Mm -hmm. still exceeding. And they've done these nature highways where they try to connect these and bridge nature pockets Mm. uh, so that the Siberian tiger can now get down there and then go up there and stuff like that. And they've seen the ecology just become much more richer by connecting these places. Mm -hmm. Now I'm just thinking about what is the connectivity to the the mountains and the sea there. We talked about the eel. Mm-hmm. Well, they need a mm-hmm. route up and back, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got the riverway, but if you look at the way Wellington's built and stuff, like I said, the green's up there,
3: mm-hmm. the
0: gray is there, and the blue <laughs> is there. Like, there's a lots of kind of opportunities to build those nature highways back into the city. You know, whether it's through pedestrianisation, whether it's through elevated, like the, uh, what's the one in New York, where they take the, the something line?
1: Oh uh, yeah, the high line. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. where they oh, take yeah, yeah. an old yeah, yeah. disused yeah. thing yeah. and they just turn it yeah, into yeah. A,
0: a radical, kind of lovely yeah. community space, but with lovely um, plants and everything else, and no honey making stuff mm. with bees returning there. Like what would, if you had a, a kind of, if I was giving you the mayorship or the control of the city, what would you do that's kind of fun and different?
1: That's a good question. It is, and I'm coming to you <laughs> oh, next as well.
0: Yeah, thanks, Bron. Yeah. <laughs> <Hey>. thanks, Dickie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Whoa! If you could just go, right, what, what is the potential here from a nature... I think nature. the
2: potential is massive from a, from a nature perspective, but I think it's also massive from a, a, an entirely holistic perspective across multiple things that we've already mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think that the, so let me start with a a kind of health warning. I think the health warning at the moment is that when we're presented, and in this case as a city we're presented with a number of challenges, uh, no cruise ships coming in, Mm -hmm. economic sort of impacts of uh, tourism, international tourism, Mm -hmm. uh, the three waters needing attention, uh, the potential growth in our population over the next thirty years, mm-hmm. um, s- potential sea level well, sea level rise, so infrastructure, and of course uh, the uh, preparedness we have of uh, for earthquakes and sort of being in the geological zone we are. As human beings, we can sort those out. The word of warning, I suppose, the health warning on this is that if we sort them out individually and we sort them out too quickly without careful thought, we may tie in 50 to 100 years worth of infrastructure at huge cost
3: mm-hmm.
2: that will actually do massive intergenerational damage to the opportunity mm. we have. For sure. So that's the word of warning, I suppose, the health warning on that. Look, I, I would make a hopeless mayor, so I mean, I'm, co- I'm going to duck the question, but I am going to comment mm-hmm. about the opportunity. Yeah. I think it's time for us to take a deep breath and talk to each other as a city.
3: Mm.
2: Now, consultation is difficult because actually, consultation means that we have to be open to other points of view mm-hmm. and sometimes not comfortable points mm. of view. But it is an opportunity to make sure that in moving forwards, in making progress, there's a word, Mm. (laughs) um, that we don't do damage to our future, that's that's to all intents and purposes irrevocable. Mm. And it does seem to me that that means that the infrastructure planning whether that be for mobility, whether that be for housing, whether that be for business, needs to be combined with the planning for future impacts of sea level rise and Mm. earthquake preparedness, um, of tourism and of our need to protect the fact that we do currently have green space that is of high value, Mm. not just to build on. And it seems to me that, that that is the thing we need most right now, is to take a deep breath and mm-hmm. say, what does the whole thing holistically in all its complexity look like? Because I can deal with mobility here, and I will build another highway, four lanes, I'll build several more tunnels, cost me a lot of money. And I can deal with housing here, and I'll just build a whole load more houses. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we find that the other things we need to do can no longer be done mm. because we've messed them up. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, that's kind of ducking your question. In fact I've entirely ducked your question. Not at all. You've laid out. Well, I'd bite for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that, that's simplistically where I think we're at. And I, I view it through a lens, a genuine lens of opportunity. Mm. But like all of these things, good has its twin mm,
3: of bad.
2: That's, yeah. mm-hmm. So that's why we look at opportunities and threats if you go back to management theory. The SWOT analysis. The SWOT yeah. yeah. analysis. I definitely see this as opportunity. But we have to determine, as a city, to pick it up and run with it and explore it mm. and share it and be prepared to talk with people who don't see it in the same way as we might, Mm. but to have that dialogue.
1: I feel like, um, oh sorry DK, do you want to? No, you jump Uh, in. I, I swing like through being either depressed at the apocalyptic doom and gloom that I can see ahead of us, to being optimistic because i meet amazing people who are doing amazing things and i feel like there's this momentum there and then i go back down again and and i and i i COVID. i went through a a pretty down phase where to me it showcased at scale how humans still can't make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. Even even when at a, you know, at a, a real macro level, it's a great global experiment, country by country, we could look at other countries, and New Zealand really stood apart, but we could look at other countries and go, oh, they're not in a very good position, are they? They haven't done things very well. Oh, these guys are doing a better job, let's learn from them. Mm-hmm. Even when we knew what was good and what was you know bad, or what was working well and what wasn't, we still, we, I'm saying we globally, as a species, couldn't make the, mm. in most cases, the decisions needed to take the right path, because mm. it actually involved sacrifice, it involved economic hurt, it involved lots of painful decisions, and so those decisions weren't made. Yeah. And it made me think, this is like a mini version of, a sort of a fast-tracked version of climate change. And so I went through a phase of thinking, of maybe I haven't come out of it quite completely. Actually, humans can't make the preemptive changes we need to ward off climate change. We are, however, quite good at adapting. And so, you know, you talking about we need to take a holistic view to you know, the massive spending around the world that we're all about to do, which actually could lock in a whole lot of decisions, like you say, a whole lot of money, which is the money we need to improve on a whole bunch of other areas. I'm not hopeful that decisions around the world are going to be made in the right way. And in some ways, maybe it's part of the human condition that you just uh, wait till things get so so bad and it's right in front of us that we've literally got no alternative but to act and and oh, yes I'm just you know sorry that's not a particularly positive thing to say <laughs> is it no,
0: it's an honest but thing I kind so of don't, feel don't, like we're just
1: yeah. on a path there's lots of good things that are happening and you know I do have my positive moments but that we are on a path where We're going to see the fires burning right in front of us and the impact right in front of us and it's only then that we will do the radical things that we all need to do, literally to stay alive as a species. And maybe that's just, maybe that's the way it has to be. We we are clever, you know, as a species, mostly, sometimes. We can, you know, instead of, Bill Gates putting $7 billion into seven different institutions to come up with a vaccine for COVID. He'll put $7 billion into seven different institutions to come up with clothing that, or face masks that filter out our, you know, toxic atmosphere Mm -hmm. or that regulate our temperature or biodomes that mean that we can have clean water and regenerate our um, biodiversity and, uh, you know, if we're talking about terraforming Mars as our backstop, Mars is not particularly hospitable. (laughs) I kind of figure, well, you know, (laughs) uh, maybe, uh,
3: yeah.
2: What you've said, I think, Brian, is very, thank you for saying that. I think that's Mm. very, um, it is, uh, it is a a difficult picture, isn't it? Mm. In all its many shapes and forms. Mm. And um, you know, the reason I mentioned, uh, David Attenborough's movie is because, um, just, just going with the, uh, catastrophic side of it, he talks about whole ecosystem collapse and he talks about biodiversity. So his, his main message in 83 minutes of film is biodiversity really matters. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter because we might necessarily know what the ant in the system does. Mm. or the bee in the system does, although we do know some of these things. Mm. It's that it is a system,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and a change to that system, if pushed too far, can cause the whole system to mm. collapse, then you really, really are in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a recent report written, um, it was reported in The Guardian actually, that's how I got hold of it, but it wasn't a Guardian report, but um, this is The Guardian in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, only a few weeks ago now, that, that uh, a report written on the number of uh, countries around the world that are facing ecosystem collapse. Mm-hmm. This isn't just bits and pieces. This isn't, oh, there won't be any more ants. This is the ecosystem
3: yeah. collapse. Mm-hmm.
2: And so the Attenborough's comment is that biodiversity matters because it maintains stability of whole systems mm. Mm. so that's really important but coming back to what you were saying Bron I think that that you know I uh, it's very I, I you know I empathize and I'm, mm. I'm with you on that that sort of sense of how do we how do we internalize all this and how do we make sense of it but if we come back to something really tedious really boring like circles of control, circles of
3: influence.
2: Irrespective of what happens in every other country in the world that is not an excuse for New Zealand not Mm -hmm. to be doing something Mm -hmm. when actually of all the countries in the world we have the most extraordinary opportunity Mm -hmm. to actually make the future more biodiverse and therefore more resilient Mm -hmm to the difficulties that we will face. Now, they might be triggered by climatic changes, Mm -hmm. weather changes, that, I mean, but the cascade will come down to social. Mm -hmm. They will come down to how people behave towards people. Mm. So everything you said at the beginning about, and, and about Wellington, about kindness, about all of these things, will become factors as to how our country is resilient through difficulty. Mm. Now, the difficulty might be locked in. Now, mm. we might have locked that in mm. climatically, yeah,
3: yeah.
2: Um, uh, and there are plenty of books and articles written about that. But what we do about it, in terms of what we can control and influence, still matters, mm. and we can do stuff about it, and we should be doing stuff about it. Mm-hmm. And it's not good enough for people in authority to say, ah, we'll wait and see. Yeah, We're, we're way past waiting and seeing.
1: In I, I agree, and I think uh, um, this is where I have my up days, you know, <laughs> and, and, I do, and I do, it's almost like this grassroots kind of momentum. There are real trend lines mm. pointing in the right direction, you know, going up. Mm. Mm, and indeed. that idea of just going I can only be responsible for my own circle of influence and my own actions and you know how I'm role modeling and what what I'm doing then you know
0: wouldn't it be amazing if next year there was a coalition of sorts an invitation to be dangerously hopeful (laughs) within the city of Wellington to set an example for the wider New Zealand population, and then the world, because then it's circles of influence mm. Mm. again. But you got to start with, you, you know, you hang your hat. Wouldn't it be amazing if there was some, like I say, dangerously hopeful, mm. not just event but ongoing series of, invitational coalit- coalition building. Systems thinking. Mm things, I don't know what they are, I'm just making it up, but reacting to what you guys are talking about, which (laughs) which, yeah, the the high level of anxiety that I'm both feeling and Mm -hmm. seeing elsewhere Mm -hmm. and aware of through friendship conversations, through family conversations, stuff like that, it's very evident now that everybody's in that position of reacting to a situation rather than being proactively kind of trying stuff. Um, The danger that I think as well is when that it, once it's in front of your face, you're now backed into a corner, and the only thing you can do when you're backed into a corner is come out swinging, right? Yeah. And that's sometimes the wrong approach, if we're talking about kindness especially. Yeah. You know, it's a bit more kind of graceful, we want the approach to be considered uh, and well in, in, in the future or advancement, like hindsight is a beautiful thing, mm. but let's get some foresight going on and celebrate some words like wisdom and hopefulness and stuff like that. and. I don't see a lot of that going on, but mm. I'm also now thinking, why am I waiting for it?
1: No, that's exactly right. You
0: know, why am I waiting mm. for permission from other people to go, yeah, that's what I meant.
1: Yeah. Well done,
0: carry <laughs> on. Like, maybe we should be doing stuff like that. Maybe this is the platform that does uh, mm. ignite or catalyze some yeah. of those things. I'm not saying it should or could, or um, I'm going to be doing it. But it's just like, yeah, I think we're, at that point we were clever enough yeah. To see all the pieces on the chessboard, know the moves, mm. and start to make some kind of moves. But I also to
2: think, okay, you are already doing it. You know, you're getting, you know, these gatherings, and uh, you know, I've looked at some of the folks that you've got together on your website, and wow, you know, that that is part and parcel mm. of a movement. Mm. So, you know, you've yeah. got amazing stuff going on uh, with. You know I think of the stuff that that, that is going on in this city with uh, the social enterprise type activities mm-hmm. that are going on that are really meaningful and really potentially mm-hmm. impactful. There is a lot of stuff happening. I think further coalescing of that, coming back to um, your lab, uh, idea. Mm. Uh, what you're doing
3: yeah.
2: is about that. Uh, how do we how do we build enough momentum in this stuff so that small things, which by definition have low momentum, yes, uh, are able to be built into bigger things that actually do have a lot of momentum and carry yeah. through to making significant enough change. Can but I, I think f- that the the kernels of all this are there.
0: Yeah. Actually,
2: and on, I, on so that point, I think, can I
0: bridge the? raised the idea that in physics there's that law that a ball in momentum is easier to be kept moving than the ball is in stasis and start, Mm -hmm. right? I think there's so many good things happening in the city and nationally Mm -hmm. that we just need to amplify them Mm -hmm. and connect them to each other Mm -hmm. and be almost curators of that Mm -hmm. and then further fanning of the flames rather than starting new things. Mm -hmm. I, I, I do believe there's enough momentum already out there but if you again it's like a putting pieces of the pie together that then builds a, a, a faster rolling ball if mm-hmm. you like and and that's what's needed is come really thoughtful people maybe mm-hmm. just to be to down tools and just say okay this is what we're doing this is what you're doing oh mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. if we just do the venn diagram here we mm-hmm. can just move ourselves centers closest a little bit and then we'll get more
1: It's like a sort of marketing and branding job at this point, you know, to almost a storytelling thing to actually Mm -hmm. make people aware of what's going on. And so they can see what the overlaps are and that's where I can start going, oh, surely there's a technical solution to this, you know. And there's there's also
0: something in there as well about being beautiful in that. And that taps back into what you guys, I think, do at Springload, some of the work that you come up with, I think is beautiful. Mm. And that's uh, often a word that's not used enough in our lives, mm. you know, to indicate professional things that we do.
1: Yeah.
0: But there's something in that if something is attractive by be- through beauty, like nature is imbued mm. in that, it's already built in. But when we create something that's beautiful, then you're drawn to it. Yeah, and then totally. it has more mm. kind of uh, space. And that I, space to breathe, I mean, and, and then space to attract other things. And when you were talking earlier on about, you know, building that momentum, what is it, and space is, Physical space now is really important, uh, that people don't, don't come together enough because they stay in their silos. Mm. They go to the conferences and relate to them, they don't go to do anything else. And if I can just you know, wear a hat at a moment from a TEDx perspective, I think that's one of the beautiful things that TEDx does. It does a lot of other things badly, but one of the good things it does really beautifully, mm. is brings that intersectionality discu- discourse together. Mm. Where you will have someone on a stage who's very academic and you're like, okay, I have to think through this yeah, yeah. versus someone standing on a stage who's so heartfelt mm. and giving of themselves, it's mm. visceral, you can mm. feel it, and it's uh, mm. versus something that's quite cerebral and it's like just fun and cute and cool and hip. And that intersectionality isn't often thought of or systems thinking, whatever, mm. when we come to these type, types of mm. discussions. Mm. Sorry, I'm just rambling.
2: No, it's well. It's it, we're really, this it's really this. exciting because I mean I think that, and again I, I'm just kind of looping back round to what you said, Ron, about about Spring Lab is that that you're taking ideas. You now that I mean that's the start. That's the imagining bit, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Ideas. The trick is is there are, there are sometimes ideas that you can do things with. I mean, let's not say that there are bad ideas but there are just ideas that you can do something with and bring together with other ideas which is exactly what you're doing. And that is great. The really important thing is that ideas on their own are not sufficient. What Mm. we now need Mm. is the ability to, to bring them together, coalesce them, mash them up into something that makes sense and then enable that thing to be enacted. Execute on execute it. it Executed, yeah, yeah. to be operationalised, to do it. Yeah, yeah. Because actually we're now past a stage where we can keep analysing it and writing mm. reports about it. Mm. So it, it okay. is about how do we do stuff.
1: Yeah. And sometimes the stuff doesn't need to be perfect either, I think. No, that just no. momentum of getting something mm. average out there you know, is mm. going to be more powerful and do more good than waiting and analysing and getting the most perfect thing, not really getting it off the ground, you know. Mm. There's
0: a balance as well, um, which comes back to the biodiversity, it balances mm. itself out, doesn't it? In mm. nature, there's a balance and equilibrium, or, mm. and, and it changes now and again because you do something different or just the weather influences. Something. So it's a, it's, a, it's a tension there, mm. um, which is healthy, and from a human system, such as like a city or industries coming together, that tension usually makes it break apart, whereas we want it to come together and then have that diversity, like biodiversity, and flourish through that tension mm. rather than remove it completely. Mm. Yeah, like
2: sometimes that. it's tension, sometimes it's, well, all the time, it's just dynamic, isn't it? Dynamic, yeah. that's a better word, And, and Thank I you. think that yeah. it's, um, it's constantly moving, as indeed we are. And I, I mean, bad, I think things differently <laughs> day, <to> day. <laughs> like, You know, because actually, yeah. we have we have inputs every day, day like this emotion, conversation, yeah. and and so yeah, you, you know, you your your thoughts um, become better formed, yeah. or sometimes they get blown over water, and yeah, yeah. you know, and just multiply that up, and you've got a city,
1: and it's dynamic, yeah. Yeah. and that is good. I like that word, dynamic, much yeah. better. Uh, yeah, and and you've got the human condition in there as well, which is that we're, you know, we're wired to be cautious of change and that actually when, as was shown, when there's an existential crisis like COVID, mm-hmm. you know, probably people's behaviours, um, you know, start to be the not best versions of themselves and, you know, because there's fear and there's mm-hmm. like this um, uncertainty kind of, I mean, I think, you know, we're all seeing that L- lots of businesses that I've been talking to were seeing that their team are, it's, it's almost like their resilience has just yeah. left.
0: Right, because it's been eked it, away it's almost. It's just been,
1: it's like, uh, like the um, cognitive load, if you think of cognitive load, at the, you mm. know, that's hard at the best of times when there's change going on, but if you're now thinking, oh, wow, our species is under threat, mm. you know, then that's just um, means you've got a much narrower margin yeah. for mm. resilience, for Indeed. dealing with the hard things, you know.
0: I'm aware of time for both of you and um, want to celebrate the fact that you did this, but I am also wanted to end on a kind of an up. Oh, <laughs> that's nice, that's that that crazy. Story, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not that I draw a just a fraction, sorry. Be very <laughs> no, positive now after
1: this conversation. No, oh, I, so. I thought we
0: did go up a little bit, do once anyway. But I wanted to ask the question what are you hopeful for in the next couple of months? We've got Christmas around the corner and summer here in the Southern Hemisphere, but uh, what are you hopeful for? In the next few months, this is a bit like the Merilty
1: yeah, question. I know. Isn't
2: it? You're good at asking. <laughs> I think the we tel- should tel- ask him the tel- yeah, tel- yeah, Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's a it's a lovely question, actually. Look, I'm I'm hopeful for at a micro level that, um, we'll, you know, as a an individual and as a family, we will have a wonderful summer and and be able to kind of re-energize a bit by yeah. having a bit of downtime uh, and time where that cognitive load changes yeah, a little yeah. bit mm-hmm. and that'll be wonderful as a business that the, the, the business will you know every, every week now is as uncertain as the week before mm-hmm. I will only know in retrospect whether it is behaving like I thought it might yeah. okay. my hope is that the business will behave like I think it will mm-hmm. and like the evidence in retrospect is telling me it might if I draw a trajectory out because that really matters to us, it really matters that, that what we do is in good health mm. so that Love matters that. to Thank me Thank you. Mm. and beyond that I'm just hopeful that um, some of the uh, apparent not kindness that is going on in the world might actually subside and we might uh, yeah. see a little bit more of the good side of humanity mm. uh, coming
1: in. Like There's it.
2: a Yuletide <laughs> message. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Something for everyone. right there. <laughs> Something for everyone, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Thank you for that, yeah. Paul. Brian?
1: Um, well, look, I am a summer girl. Um, I I refuel with the sun and I always um, come out of my summertime break just brimming with new ideas. Cause, like, right. just, yeah, I've, I've Filled up. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and also, I, um, I've i joined a new network, Edmund Fellowship. So I've, I've yes. been exposed to a whole lot of, oh, I'm only just starting to be exposed to a whole lot more amazing people, all um, driven by purpose yes. and impactful change for good. And um, you know, as I said, on my roller coaster of mm. highs and lows, this sure. this feels like uh, a, that bubbling up of momentum of um, people and organisations and ventures connecting to, uh, and that there will be this movement, and that we might actually, you know makes points and things in the right direction so that, so i'm pretty hopeful around uh, some of that stuff yeah
0: good luck with the ehf i've already seen the new cohorts and bloody hell i
1: know mm. i know yeah.
0: a couple of yeah. impressive people including a lady called bron thompson yes oh.
2: yes i did
1: notice that yeah syndrome it's, going uh, on but anyway amazing
2: yeah.
0: amazing
2: yeah uh, Collective of people. Yeah. yeah. And what
1: story. might
0: be the last cohort?
1: I, I know. I feel very privileged to have been able to yeah. just sneak in at the end. boat yeah. right. mm, yeah. Always coming at the end. It's always awesome, coming at the end. All deserved. Yeah. Thank you. Thank <laughs> the you. party's already
0: cooking. Then. What about, <laughs> what about
1: you, DK? What are you hopeful for? There we go. Give you a question.
0: Okay. I'm like you. I'm very anxious at the moment, just because I have family who are struggling from a perspective mm. of. Um, Got a very elderly gran who's ninety-seven. Who's like awesome, but still lives alone in a house mm. she was born in, up mm. in the valleys of South Wales. Mm. My parents are there. Um, lost my uncle a couple of months ago, two months, about a month ago, six weeks ago. And that creates that distance, much yeah, further distance. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like you, I'm kind of coming out of a bit of a uh, mm. time, you know, and. From that though, the sun helps. It really does. The blue <laughs> sky. Spent some time in Queenstown a couple of days ago. Just full of good conversations and people doing really good things, mm. and that's made me a lot more buoyant mm. coming out of that. And I'm like, yeah, hanging with people who are your tribe, who get mm. you. You don't have to act or be anything other than you. you don't have to take a role. You don't have to be authoritarian. do have to be just be there. And then just share your ideas and your thoughts and ideas. So, I want to do more of that yeah, in, uh, in the next yeah. couple of months, even though we're coming into a quiet period. But I think people will be really hungry for mm. that connection. And even though Wellington empties during Christmas, I kind of like that. It's eerie around you. Yes. Yeah. But luckily, I've got a brother here in New Zealand as well who's got a couple of kids. So, they always just attack my face. And that's always fun, <laughs> you know, having, <laughs> being the cool uncle, go up there and just wind them up and then let them go. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I'm looking forward to that. Nice. Yeah, I'm really Good hopeful to spend some time with family and yeah. that I can here. Yeah.
3: Really and
0: nice. fingers crossed, we'll come out of this feeling. In the next couple of months, um, with a new change of leaderships in other parts of the world, hopefully yeah. that will help and ignite mm-hmm. some real positivity.
3: Mm-hmm. That's very my nice. hopeful message. Good on you. Very nice. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for doing this. Thanks
0: very much.